Welcome to episode number 57 of Talking Mopars and another installment of Direct Connections. This time around, I have my friend Tom Hergert from Rocket Restorations in Olympia, Washington on the show to talk about all his Mopar adventures. He's a buyer, he's a seller, and an overall Mopar enthusiast. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth, and I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopar's Direct Connections. You're listening to Talking Mopar's with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Talking Mopar's Direct Connections. This time around, I have my friend Tom Hergert, you may have heard of him from his business, Rocket Restorations. He travels the United States finding all the stuff that we wish we could find. Tom, welcome to Talking Mopar's Direct Connections. How are you, buddy? Good. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good, man. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I've known you for you know a handful of years now, and I really admire the work that you do and the adventures that you go on, you go on a lot of Mopar adventures where you go and check out these old dealerships and things like that. Um, before we get into all your your Mopar adventures from modern day, I'd like to take the listeners back a little bit and just get to know you as a Mopar enthusiast. So how did you get started into Mopars? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've been, uh, so I, I'm on the younger side of most of the people, um, in this hobby, you know, I'm 40 years old. So, I mean, I've been doing this since I was 20, but you know, I went to kind of took the usual route. I went to high school, went to college. Um, and then after college, I got a real job and real jobs suck. Like, I don't like real jobs. Like there, I mean, obviously most people out there have real jobs, but like, I was working like insurance for a couple of years and I just didn't really like it that much, but I was real involved in Mopars. Like the first, my, my dad had a 68 charger in high school and he used to like always talk about how cool it was. It was a 440 RT green car. Like I always loved it. And then, uh, and I've got a, a lot of people, a lot of people know this, but I have a twin brother too. So, um, uh, I'm the better looking one, but I have a twin brother. <laughs> um, we're identical, but, um, but yeah, in high school, we kind of just kind of got, obsessed with Mopars like we just loved them you know we started doing like fender tag decodes like my brother started doing like an e-body registry like when you know not many people were doing it back then and we just really wanted a car so we started looking and like there was a AR Cuda we tried to buy and it sold to Pennsylvania before we could buy it and then uh we found this gorgeous 1970 Dodge Charger it was a burnt orange original owner California car sold at Tex Worthington in California 70,000 original miles, original paint. Like it was such a cool car. We bought that and uh, had that through high school and college. And that was such a cool car. I should never have sold it. Um, and uh, and then I had to sell it for college because I had to get a daily driver for school. And so, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so I had the real job. And then I joined all the local mobile clubs because I had the car and everything. And one time I go to one of the club meetings and a buddy of mine goes to the meeting and he's like, he just, and uh, he, he knew I kind of sold on eBay and some other stuff. I was selling like football tickets for one of my boss at work and he brings me a ton of parts and he's like, Hey man, can you sell these on eBay for me? I'm just like, sure. I can go ahead and try doing that. So I started selling some of his parts on eBay and like everything was selling, like we're doing good money. I started going to swap meets and then like, I kind of came to the realization. I was like, you know, if I start selling reproduction parts, all I have to do is hit realist, realist, realist on eBay rather than taking a picture of everything and like, you know, listing it, like every part's different, obviously. So I'm like, 
then I started selling reproduction parts. So, I mean, I had a, I had a, uh, an apartment in Seattle. Um, cause I, I lived on the east side of Seattle in the suburbs and like my roommate, we had a little storage down there and it started being full of parts and selling it. And then eventually I bought a condo and started doing business out of that. And I was doing really good selling the reproduction parts and everything. And then I decided like, I really wanted to shop. So, um, I ran a shop up in, uh, uh, Everett, Washington. So, um, uh, which is just about a half hour north of Seattle. I should really close to where Chris lives. Uh, but I live in Olympia, Washington now, so which is about an hour south of Seattle. Um, and I just started running business out of there. I started like, you know, I bought cars to sell, you know, part out, like I did the reproduction parts thing, you know, I made some of my own parts I bought from wholesalers, you know, I sold on eBay, you know, did really, really well. Um, and then, uh, one day, uh, I brought a car home and, uh, uh, a couple of my friends stopped by, um, a guy named, uh, Mike Voles. I know some of you probably know him. He ran uh, rocket restorations down in Olympia. And at the time my company was called tall zag auctions. Um, I went to Gonzaga university in Spokane. So I was, and I'm six, five. So it was tall zag. Cause I guess tall zag, that, that that's kind of my internet handle. So if you guys see a tall zag on the message board, that's me. Um, usually I'm under rocket restorations now. So, and he just, he was kind of looking for a business partner. You know, he did the restorations. I was mostly on the parts side and he kind of wanted somebody to run the business and the parts. And so then I moved to Olympia. Um, we had this super cool shop in downtown Olympia. It was like this old parts store, Spoon Auto Parts. Um, this huge building had like the old porcelain sign out front still to Spoon Auto Parts. Had like the big bay windows where you could see inside and what everybody was doing. And it was cool. I mean, we, we did really well down there. We did, you know, real high-end body and paint, you know, the shop did a, a 71 CUDA that was, you know, OE gold at the nationals. Um, you know, that was, and I just, I learned a lot down there. Like I wasn't really a big restoration guy before I joined rocket restorations. And I learned a lot down there, like how to organize, how to put parts together. I mean, it's like, man, doing one of these complete OE nut and bolt restorations is not for the faint of heart. It's a lot of work to do that. Like, it's like, you know, when you have to get every nut and bolt and faster and screw on that car correct, get every finish right. Like, it just takes so much time to do that right. Um, yeah, we're doing pretty good. And then, you know, kind of the 08, 09 recession hit us pretty hard. You know, um, uh, people started losing their houses. You know, people were using, like, their home equity line of credit for restoration. And they, it, hit, it was pretty hard. Um, it was kind of hard finding business. The part side was going okay. And it's just like, you know, my partnership kind of just kind of fell apart a little bit. So we ended up just kind of splitting up the business at that point. And, you know, we actually had two buildings there. Um, we had the one on the corner that was spooning another building next door. So I was over there and then I just decided like, I was kind of just sick of doing it. So I just, um, I basically bought a, I got married at that point. Um, luckily my wife has a real job, so, you know, it helps with insurance and everything. So that helps a lot actually. Um, you know, trying to run this business by yourself and not having health insurance and all that is, is hard. Um, so we actually bought a house out in a town called Shelton, um, which is about half hour northwest of Olympia. Um, and that worked out great. I had, a, I had a shop out there. It wasn't very big, but, you know, we're still doing restorations. And um, I hired a guy I've known forever, um, uh, Trev. Uh, he was actually mentioned in the, the Hearst convertible conversation you had a couple podcasts ago. So he's a super nice guy. He's got that uh, 70 Hearst convertible, the one of one car. Um, and uh, yeah, and it, it was doing good. And then, um, and then uh, as uh, Chris had a podcast on this, um, a guy I knew real well down here named Ben Snowbar passed away um, and it ended up being a really good opportunity. Like, um, you know, Ben passed and he had this huge property um, south of Olympia and all these cars and parts. And like, as I said, Chris has kind of gotten into this earlier on a previous podcast, but it was like, 
man, the stuff he had was just unbelievable. And, you know, I basically, you know, they were looking for somebody to help them, like kind of, you know, um, he had a business kind of help with the business, get it organized and basically just try to figure out what to do with the estate. I mean, Ben had like 120, 130 cars. We had three 5,000 square foot buildings, just floor to ceiling full of parts. I mean, it was, and it was good stuff too. I mean, complete Hemi blocks. Like so Chris has posted some pictures from this auction. It was impressive. Like um, I actually got roadkill to come up here. They did a big article on it. Like, and I basically helped them like go through, organize the parts. And then I had to hire an auction company to sell it all off. Um, James G. Murphy did a wonderful job there selling all that stuff off. And it was crazy. I mean, like, um, so basically then after the auction, you know, I, um, Actually, uh, in, in the house, there's like this fantastic walk-in closet in the house. So I just sent my picture of wife of the walk-in closet and she's like, I'm sold. I want that house. So I actually talked my wife into, you know, being able to buy this place. So, um, so shortly after the auction, we bought the house and, you know, that's kind of the story. Now I'm working out of here. It's, it's pretty fantastic. I've got 13 acres here. Um, I'm kind of in a rural area south of Olympia. Um, you know, I'm 10 minutes from town. Um, I got three 5,000 square foot buildings, which I've of course filled in several years. It didn't take me long to fill them up full of cars and parts, but, um, but yeah, it's been going great down here. I'm, I'm really happy with what I'm doing. So. That's awesome, man. Um, tell me a little bit about rocket restorations as far as, you know, some of your notable, uh, notable restorations that you've done thus far. Sure. Um, yeah, so we rockets kind of everything. Like people kind of ask, like, what specifically do I do? I mean, we just do a little bit of everything. So we do we do car restoration. Um, I don't do body and paint anymore. I did that when I was in downtown Olympia. I don't have a paint booth. Um, honestly, I never made that much money off it, anyways. Um, paint bodies is hard, man, because everybody everybody wants a fifty thousand dollar paint job for twenty thousand dollars, and it's like, you know, or ten thousand dollars, and it's just hard. So I farm that out. But we do all the assembly here, um, all the reassembly, you know disc brake swaps. Um, you know, I've got a couple of regular customers who are awesome. You know, um, we've got a couple of guys who have, you know, fairly big collections. And they just kind of rotate their cars in and out. We just do maintenance on them. You know, it's like, we've got an AAR coot in here right now from a good customer of ours. Um, and like, you know, then when they did the restoration, they didn't do the correct black on the hood. So it's like kind of a gloss black on the hood on an AAR coot. It's supposed to be textured. So we're redoing that. You know, the exhaust wasn't painted, you know, it came in like once you ran it, it had like a, a radiator coolant leak. So um, it was leaking out of the studs on the exhaust. We fixed that. So we do a lot of that. We do a lot of nut and bolt stuff too. Like we got a, a 71 Super B in a couple months ago for a customer that it was at a body shop. And, you know, they did a pretty good job of putting it back together after the paint, but they were just in over their head. Like they just, you know, they weren't real super familiar with mold parts. So we put that back together. Um, and then we do parts too. I do used parts. Um, you know, we do a lot of reproduction parts. We buy from wholesalers, um, sell a lot on eBay. Um, our eBay handles rocket resto if you guys need any parts, check out my store on eBay. Um, and our website is uh, rocketresto.com. So it's a uh, R O C K E T R E S T O.com. Um, we just do a little bit of everything, you know, sometimes we'll buy cars on spec just to restore to, to sell later down the road. We just do a little bit of everything. So, um, See some of the cars we've done. We did a really nice 71 340 Swinger um, last year. That was a really, really nice car. Um, we're almost done with the Super B. It looks fantastic. We just put a picture of that on our Facebook page. So, um, so yeah, just kind of a little bit of everything. So, um. Awesome. Now, I when I watch your social media, I see you and your crew going on all sorts of crazy adventures where you find these old dealerships and you find, you know, stashes of all these awesome NOS parts and things like that. How did you get started in 
you know, hunting down these old dealerships? You know, do you, are you just well connected in the Mopar community? Or these, is this from research that you've done? Because I know a lot of people, you know, when we, like guys like me, um, when I see that, I see that kind of stuff. I'm like, how did he find out about this place? You know, because it's like, it's so crazy that those places even still exist. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it's, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, like, when you run the Mopar shop in town, like, people find you. You know, like, if something happens, there's a big part stash, people call you. But, you know, a lot of it's just beating the bushes, too. Like, I'm, I'm really good at that. Like, I, I love my, – my favorite, my favorite thing is a swap meet. I love going to a swap meet. And I like buying so much more than selling. Like, I mean, I have to sell to stay in business, you know. Um, but I just like buying way more than selling. And, you know, I've been going to shows since I was in high school. And I like traveling. I like the road trip part of it. Um, so, you know, I go, LA's got two shows a year. They have a spring fling and a fall fling. I go down there every year. And I've always got something to do down there. You know, it's like, I'll have a buddy needs a car hauled down and I'll buy a car to bring back. And it's like, then you hear like, you know, somebody buys some parts from you online. You just have a conversation. Be like, hey man, do you have anything else? Oh yeah, I've got a 70 Roadrunner down here. You know, oh yeah, I may think about selling it. So some of that. Um, one thing I've done recently is I actually found an old, uh, Chrysler dealer list from 1970 and it has all the addresses and all the dealer numbers on it and I've just been doing research in like these rural areas and it's like it's really amazing what's still out there like I went to uh I never been to the Minnesota Mopars at the Park show fantastic show by the way if you guys have never been there it's fantastic unfortunately it got canceled this year because everything's gotten canceled because of COVID um which is really just a bummer all the way around yeah. it really is yeah. um but I went out there last year and with this dealer list and I just went down, you know, I, I took, the, I like taking the road list taken. Like I went down highway two. I didn't take the interstate. I went all the way up North through Northern Montana and all these spots I'd never been to before. And I found this old dealership that closed in 85 and you know, everybody's friendly. I mean, the, the town has a couple hundred people in it. Like everybody knows everybody. So I just, you know, stopped by the local parts store, tractor supply store. And they're like, Oh yeah, this used to be the Chevy dealer. I was like, Oh, where's, where's the Mopar dealer? And like, Oh, it's just across the street over there. Oh, who owned it? Oh, so-and-so. Okay, I'll just give him a call for you. And it, I go in there, and it was a time capsule. It was amazing. Like, they, they closed down in, like, 84, 85, and all the NOS parts were still there on the on the shelves. I, I have a picture of it on my Facebook page, um, which is just Rocket Restorations on Facebook. But, you know, that was last year. It was just amazing. I mean, I, I took my 24-foot enclosed trailer out there and just filled that thing floor-to-ceiling full of parts. I mean, it was all NOS, and it was, it was good stuff. Like, a lot of times when you go through these dealer collections, it's – a lot of like K car stuff, like eighties, like, you know, it's like, those are cool cars. I don't want to like say anything against those cars. I love all Mopars, but the parts aren't worth anything. So I think everybody can kind of agree on that, but it was like some really good muscle car stuff. And it was, you know, like uh turn signal switches, you know, it's like, those are like gold around here. Unfortunately, we've had a ton of problem with the, with the aftermarket turn signal switches. Like um, on that 71 Super B we're working on, you know, we spent two days on that car. Like, we put a brand new turn signal switch in, brand new ignition switch in, pre-production. And every time you turn the key, the flashers went on. And, like, we spent all this time trying to track this down. And then we're finally like, okay, well, let's check the turn signal switch. And it was a bad turn signal switch from a reproduction one. And, like, but when you have those NOS switches, they don't do that. So it's, like, it's so cool. And I've been getting really into signs lately. If you've got any signs for sale, give me a call. I love old signs. I've been buying a lot of plastic. I can't afford the porcelain. The porcelain's too expensive. But... Uh, I was just down in California and uh, a good buddy of mine, uh, he's a little older than me, but he's been doing this as long, you know, a lot longer than I have. He cleaned out a dealer in the Bay Area um, in, in Martinez and he had all sorts of cool stuff. He actually had, he found all the old dealer records, which I love finding the old dealer records. Uh, I'm a huge history buff on this stuff. Like I love like, 
I love finding out the history of these cars. Like you go through a dealership like that. So they, they weren't a big dealership. They were, um, they sold about a hundred to 115 cars a year. Um, I guess it's kind of a medium sized dealership, but they weren't a very big dealership, but like just going through and seeing all the cars they sold, you know, it's like they have all these notebooks and it's like, cause it, like the, the slant six green dusters haven't survived. Like this little piece of paper on there that has the invoice and the window sticker is like the only, that's the only record of that car. You know, Chrysler only has records pre 67, um, which I don't know if the listeners knew that, but if you have a 67 and before Mopar, Chrysler still has the paperwork. Um, unfortunately, they're not doing decodes right now because of COVID, but they, I'm sure they will again soon, but everything's 68 and later, you know, it's like where everybody says like, Oh, my Cuda is one of 30. Well, it's like, that's just how many exist. Like you don't actually know that. Um, but that's why I love these old records. Cause it's like, you know, I'm going through and like Shell Oil Company bought 16 Belvedere's from, from them. And they're just like 318 automatics, like nothing cars. Um, but it's just cool seeing how they were optioned. Like I guarantee you all of those cars don't exist anymore. They all got crushed in the eighties most likely. And it's, it's just so cool. And then what, what the, my favorite part of this is when I reunite paperwork. So there was a 70 Chrysler 300 Hearst in there and I found the car. It's in Europe right now. So I'm trying to track down the owner, but like, how cool is it to be able to reunite paperwork with the original car? So if anybody has a car that was sold at Duarte and Whitting in Martinez, California, give me a ring. I probably have your original paperwork. We just found a 67 Cuda that was sold there. I actually just found it on Facebook Marketplace. I, I was looking, just, you know, surfing as everybody, every Mopar guy does, go on Facebook Marketplace and see if a car's for sale. And I'm looking at it, and it's got a Duarte and Whitting plate frame on it. I'm like, whoa, I wonder if that car was sold there. Emailed the guy, it matched, and they sent the original paperwork for the car. I mean, it's everything. It's like it's like the sales receipt, the window sticker, the invoice. I love this kind of stuff. So if anybody has any like old dealer paperwork out there, um, I love that kind of stuff. I keep a registry of this stuff, and I try to reunite the paperwork with the original owners. Um, so we had that, which was super cool. And then he had all the old signs from the dealer. So he had a double-sided Valiant um, uh, plastic can. So it's the, the big Valiant sign, plastic, double-sided with the can. Um, he had a pair of Chrysler Plymouth authorized service signs. Still brand new in the original box. They never even hung them up. They were NOS. Um, one got damaged, unfortunately, probably when it was shipped. It was dated 64 on the box. Um, so there's one crack in one of them, but uh, those, and then the, there was an original plastic sign that was, so the Valiant and the authorized service were three by six plastic. And then the other one was four by six or four by eight. So, but just big one, but just like, I love going through these old dealerships. I buy all the old parts books. I love parts books. Parts books, like, I just love going through a parts book. And it's actually really helpful in a restoration shop. It's like, you know, you can't know everything in this business. Like, I don't care who you are. Like, I mean, there's Guillaume Govier, Dave Wise. I mean, they're, they're really good guys. They know probably more than anybody out there. But I guarantee you, every day they're out there learning about this stuff. And it's like when you're putting a car together, especially when you didn't take it apart, um, we kind of specialize in uh, taking half-done restorations or restorations that were in another shop and we fix them. And it's like, so a lot of times we get the cars in here, somebody else took them apart. Like, you know, it's like trying to put together a 70 E-body window mechanism. Like, you can't have all that memorized. You get the parts book with the exploded diagram, and it's just super helpful. It's just like you have this giant, like, jigsaw puzzle you put back together, but at least you can see, like, an exploded view of it. So I love old parts books. You know, I get all the old service mails from them. Um, the old dealer data books, those are super fun to go through. You know, they have the original paint chips, the interior swatches on them. Um, you know, I've got all that stuff on the shelf. I just love going through that stuff, but I just find it in these old dealers. So it's just been fun. Cause like when I'm on the road, I get bored. Like, you know, it's, it, you know, for me, it's like, um, by one of the dumbest laws ever, but like when you drive through California with a trailer, you have to go 55. Like that's the speed limit. So like you're going up like between LA and San Francisco on the way home or the way down, you got these cars passing you at 80 and you're going like 55 
up the road. It's just like, it's just torture. It takes so long. So it's just like, I try to break up the trips. I just try to make stops. You know, it's like, I'm always looking for parts, you know, I'm always looking for guys who are looking to sell stuff. So it's like, I make a stop here and there on the way. It just kind of breaks up the trip. That's kind of where it started. And then I've kind of gotten a little better at it, you know, with all these dealer stops. And I just found this other dealer down in California. I'm supposed to stop by next week. And, you know, he has his original Pentastar I'm trying to buy. So, um, I don't know, he wants a ton of money for it, but, um, I don't think I'm going to have room, but, um, but yeah, it just kind of started as that. It's kind of breaking the trips up and it's just like, I'm going to old wrecking yards. I mean, they're getting harder and harder to find. Unfortunately, they're starting to get crushed out at an alarming rate. We're starting to find parts, but you know, kind of, that's when it started out when I was doing this in the late nineties, early two thousands, a lot of these wrecking yards are still out there. So I, I love going through an old wrecking yard. I just love finding parts and just walking through, like, even if you don't buy anything, it just, it's just cool seeing these, this, this history sitting there in the yard. Um, and unfortunately most of them are getting crushed out now just because, you know, there isn't much value and the, the land's usually worth more than the cars now, unfortunately. So what, uh, so I have to imagine, I see you buying up all these, you know, stashes of parts and things like that. It's gotta be hard when you run across something so cool with so many NOS parts that, you know, with the cool factor, it's like, you know, how do you, because a lot of us Mopar guys, let's let's be honest here. A lot of us are hoarders. You know, we get something really cool that you know that this is probably the last one in existence. I'm, I'm in the category two. Trust me, Chris. I'm in the category two. <laughs> it's got to be hard parting with some of that stuff. It is absolutely yep. But it's also a business. It's like you know you can't just buy everything and hoard it. Like um, and kind of the way I see this is like um, you know, one thing I've kind of uh specialized in lately is is, is estate sales. Like um. You know, with the snowbar thing, that was an estate sale, you know, like Ben passed away and like, he never told his wife anything. I mean, some people have different relationships with their wives. I'm not going to judge about any of that. Um, you know, there's, I'm sure, I'm sure there's some cars I bring home that are quote unquote, my brothers that my wife may not know about, but <laughs> if it's on the property of my brothers, it's okay. But like, um, but it's like these families just have no idea what happened. Like when Ben passed away, like his wife had to like go to the county and like do a search for his name to find out what properties he owned because they had a bunch of rental houses and she didn't even know. Like, I mean, how bad is that? Like, I mean, he passed away. I mean, he passed away young. He was, he had a, I think he had a brain aneurysm at like 61, 62. I mean, he was not old. He was, he was not a very healthy guy. He was overweight for years, but, um, but like his wife didn't know anything. It's like, they just kind of threw their hands up and, and didn't know what to do. So like, but I've actually gotten pretty good at going in and like helping these families out. Cause like people take advantage of these families, they go in there and it's like, you know, there's a 70 Hemi Cuda. That's a couple hundred thousand dollar car. You know, somebody might go in there and offer 25,000. Like the family doesn't know whether what it is or what it isn't, you know, they, they have no idea of this. Um, so I, I try to be a trusted person to go in there and, you know, I just want to give advice to people out there. It's like, you know, even if you like, you don't tell your wife about everything, that's fine, but just have everything organized. Like make sure you have all your titles in one place. Like if there's any like notes or like super valuable stuff you have, it's good to leave notes. Like, you know, like even if you don't want to get a professional guy going through it, at least like tell your wife where the titles are and like, you know, maybe have a business card in there or like, even if it's like your friend or your, you know, another business in town, but like have like a business card in there, basically, basically tell your spouse or whatever, you know, who here's who to call if anything happens to me because that is super important because like i really try to get into these estates and like really try to help the family out because like they're just completely lost and they're going through grief i mean it's horrible like you lose the patriarch of the family and it's like it's just it's horrible it's like there's a lot of emotional emotions involved with this um you know at the snowball auction 
he had so much stuff. Like there, there's several different ways you can go about this. Like if it's a car, you can just sell it. Like it's not a big deal. Like it's, but you know, Ben had 13 acres full of parts. He had stuff at three different locations. There was 130 different vehicles. I mean, it was just so overwhelming that uh, they just brought an auction company in and, and it is fantastic. I mean, they made a ton of money off the auction. Like, I mean, it was enough for his wife to retire on. Um, it, it actually worked out really well in the end, but there was so much junk too. It's like we brought in uh, two 40 yard containers and we filled three full of scrap. Like, do you know how big a 40 yard container is? Oh, yeah. Well, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, of you do. Um, but I mean, that's like, eight, 10 feet tall and like 40 feet long and maybe 20 feet long, I think. Um, but we filled three full of scrap and five full of garbage. I mean, that's how much just got straight up thrown away. It wasn't even worth selling at the auction. So it's like, everything's, you know, everything's all over the place with those things. But like, we really try to go in there and tell them like, okay, you know, this is how much I think this is worth, you know, and I buy the parts too, but I try to be as fair as I can. You know, it's like, if you go in there and, you know, you think there's $10,000 worth of parts, well, you can't pay $10,000 for the parts if you're in business. It doesn't work that way. You know, you got to pay uh, quite a bit less to make it worth your while to do it. But like, you know, but sometimes I go in and buy the parts and sometimes I help them sell it or like, you know, and sometimes you just bring an auction company. Sometimes, sometimes that's the best go. You know, there's several companies out there, you know, in the Midwest, like Vanderbrink, they're doing a fantastic job. They did the Lambrick Chevy auction and they did a Mopar one this summer. Um, they're doing a fantastic job out there. So, I mean, there's several different ways you can go with that. Um, but unfortunately, we just had a good friend of ours, uh, Steve Marinoff, just passed away. Um, he was a really good customer of ours, good friend. I, you know, met with him every time I was down in California for the show. And uh, Rocket actually did a 71 Hemi Cuda for him that was, you know, OE Gold. It was a fantastic restoration. Um, I actually joined the company by halfway through that restoration, so I can't take much credit for that. But, um, but it was a fantastic restoration. He just passed away. And uh, fortunately, you know, the family, you know, one of the first calls was to me because I was good friends with him. And they needed somebody they could trust to help out with this. And, you know, he had some great stuff in there. I mean, I didn't even know what he had. I'd seen a couple of the buildings before, but you know, as, as, as with most of these people, he owned a bunch of apartment buildings down there and he was at a Los Angeles area, but there was stuff at five different locations. I mean, they just stuff everywhere. So like, so I basically had to fly down there and like kind of take an inventory of the parts. Um, they got most of the cars sold now, but there was a 63 max wedge car. There was a Hemi charger. There was a couple of Cudas. Um, there's actually a 71 Hemi Cuda convertible. It's a clone, but it's actually they're actually shipping up to my shop because it needed some work before we could sell it. So that actually should be here next week, and we're going to put that up for sale pretty soon. Um, but yeah, and I in that in that instance, I just ended up buying the parts from the family. So they just they wanted to go to somebody they like, and kind of the way I see it is, it's like you know a lot of these guys have held on these parts forever, and it's like you know you talk about like me hoarding the parts, but like kind of the way I see it is like it's getting it back out in the community too. It's like you know this stuff's been off the market for so long, and it's getting so hard to find this stuff. Um, you know, when you buy this stuff and you get it out in the world, like it gets back in circulation and people can use these parts. And it's just like, I love like reuniting these parts with cars to see who's going to get it and who can put it back in their cars and get it back to life. Like, you know, um, I don't have a tangent here, but like my favorite thing to do in the world is to get a dead car running again. Like, I just love it. Like that's, that's just like my favorite thing in the world. Like, I, I don't know why, but like you take this thing that's like dead and then you like, you get it running and make it alive again. It's like raising Frankenstein from the, you know, like, you know, it's alive. It's alive. Like, I just love doing it. And, um, and I love like, you know, it's kind of the stuff I collect is like, you know, I like original paint cars. I love survivors, you know, like a lot of the stuff I buy has been sitting for years and I just love going through and getting them running again. It's just like, it just bringing these things back to life. And, you know, uh, 
you know, I mentioned that my first car was a Charger, but you know, I kind of ended up going more towards the full-size cars. Again, I mentioned I'm 6'5", um, so I'm kind of a tall guy. So I don't like, I really like, I work on e-bodies every day. I'm not a huge e-body family. I just don't fit in them. Like, whatever, they, they have the steering columns at a little bit of a different angle on an e-body with that can. And it's like, I just have a hard time getting in and out of them, you know. And A-bodies, I love A-bodies. But again, I'm just too big for them. Like, my head hits the ceiling. Um, but I just kind of gravitate towards the full-size cars, you know. It's like, when I was kind of getting into this in the late 90s, 2000s, it was kind of that first big run-up of prices. And, you know, chargers and CUDAs were super expensive. And then, like, you know, I'm from, Was I'm from Washington State, same as Chris. And it's like, I, I found this, like, Washington State Patrol car. It's like a, a 72 Polara, um, 440 HP you know, disc brakes, like double foam seat with double cushions, power seat, air conditioning, like this, this, I'm like, this thing's awesome. Like it's got the same engine and trans as a 440 RT charger. I mean, it's a little bigger. It's not quite as fast, but like, I just, I, I just love those things. So like, um, you know, if you want to know kind of what my personal collection is of a guy who does this for a living, like I kind of gravitated towards that. So I've got a ton of old police cars. I love old police cars. They're still cheap. And, you know, I just kind of have a soft spot for them, but I've got, I guess it's not a good sign that I can tell you how many I have off the top of my head. Um, I have six or seven now. My brother owns a couple of them, but, you know, as with my brother, it's kind of like ownership is in, is in question on some of them. You know, who owns them, me and my brother. Um, but, yeah, I've got the 72 Polaris that I bought in, like, 2003. First car I ever restored. I've still got that. It was a gold. It's a gold. It was a sergeant lieutenant's car, so it wasn't actually a marked car. Um, Washington still does the same thing. They have unmarked cars on the road, so it's an unmarked car. But um, but 440 HP AC. Um, and then uh, I've got a 70 Sport Fury GT. Um, it's a silver bar orange car. Um, that's a super cool car. So it got it got in a wreck in the early 80s in Utah, and it just sat like it got in this wrecking yard and just sat. And I bought it a couple of years ago, so it has a little bit of a front nose hit, which was enough to total it in the early 80s, but not now. Um, obviously, it's worth fixing now. It's a pretty rare car. And then I've got a 58 um, Plymouth Sport Fury 440 four-speed convertible. Um, that's a super, super cool car. They have a unique rear end in them. It's a Dana 53 rear end in that car. It was 440, four-speed C-body only in 67 and 68. It's a super goofy rear end. Do some research on that. If you ever want to do like a, an episode on like the really goofy parts they put in this car, but it's a Dana 53 rear end with 331 gears in the sure rip. I'm writing isn't that down. It's so weird. <laughs> isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's 67, 68 C body only, 444 speed. And I don't know what the production on that is. I, I've seen like two others. Um, I'm trying to buy one of them. Um, but I mean, production had to be under 20. But what's super cool about that car is it's like, it's manual steering, manual brakes, but it's bucket seats, console, console tack. And it came with 15 inch wheels with F70, 15 red lines. The same, really? it, basically came with, it basically came with the A12 tire. On a wow. C-body. Yeah, without disc brakes. Um, a little aside, C-body nerd. But, like, if you got disc brakes on a 55 to 68 uh, Plymouth, you got 15-inch wheels. If you didn't, they were generally 14. But they actually put 15 on it with drum brakes with those big red line tires. I didn't even know they were available in 68. Like, I looked up the code. I didn't recognize it when I when I bought it. And I actually got that out of another estate sale in Oregon, um, another one James G. Murphy did. Um, man, I'm trying to remember what the name of that was. It was out in the desert in the middle of Oregon. That was another really cool one um, to go to. Guy had a ton of cars. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my personal collection. So I tend to I tend to flock more towards the full size cars. Um, I actually just bought a flat fender Willys. I wanted one of those for a while. So I found one over in uh, uh, Eastern Washington. Like super clean, hardly any rust on it. Again, been sitting forever. So um, got it running. Um, 
but no one of my mechanics. I've uh, transferred my mechanics. I have another guy named Evan who uh, works for me full time. So he's the kind of guy who's like he just he's just really good with mechanical stuff. So um, so he helped me out get got that thing running. And uh, I like having like one rig around the shop to like move cars around the yard with because like I got a lot of parts cars outside. I had them behind the shops. So you can't. My wife can't see them. But you know. But but man, you got to have parts cars to put these things together. I mean, it's like you know I really like you know, four door 66 and 70 B bodies. Like, it's just like, I, I just call them my bolt piles. Cause it's like, it's so nice. Like if we need a correct horn bolt for a car, it's so nice to be able to just go out to the parts car and take that, you know, I have all the nuts, bolts and fasteners. They're just not super organized and back. Um, but like, you know, it can take a half hour to find that one bolt, but if you just go to the parts car, it's really nice. So you just pull it out real quick. Um, Let me ask you this. If you had to get rid of all your cars in your Mopar collection, but only keep one, which one would it be and why? Oh, that is such a tough question. <laughs> um, I know people always say that to delay the answer, and that's probably what I'm doing. Um, uh, it would probably be my 72 Polara, just because that was, um, you know, I've had that since 2003, I think. You know, that was my first full restoration I ever did. I have a lot of emotional attachment with that car, but that's 68 four-speed Fury. That's, if I didn't have the emotional attachment with 72, it would be the Fury. So I love that four-speed Fury. It's such a cool car. And that's one, it's like, you know, that's kind of the curse of owning a restoration shop. It's like, you don't have time to work on your own stuff. It's like, you know, you're you're out there. And I have two young kids, which doesn't help too. So, um, you know, I, I love my kids, but it's like, you know, I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old right now. So it's like, they, they just take up a ton of time. So it's basically like, I'm working when I'm working and then I'm with my kids the other time, but it's like, okay, I can work for two hours on my project or work on two hours on a customer car is waiting to get the car done. I can make money off that. So it's like, you don't get a lot of time to work on your own stuff. So, um, yeah, I actually just bought a power wagon too, a 48 power wagon in California. Oh. Um, that's a pretty wow. cool, cool truck too. Um, it was up in the mountains above Redding up there. Um, I've always wanted a power wagon. So anyway, I just, I have bucket list cars that I've had and I've got most of them now. I always wanted a power wagon. Um, I'm still looking for a little red. I've never owned a little red. I will at one point. Um, there's a few other cars on my bucket list. That was that was one of the ones on my bucket list I've always wanted to own. So, um, but the thing is, like, I like the flat fender Willys so much. It's like, I don't know. I, I may just have to keep it one, but we'll see. I just, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of the personality. It's like I love buying stuff a lot more than selling. So generally, when I buy a car, it'll be for like a couple of years. I'll fix it up, enjoy it a little bit, then I'll kind of move on. So. Um, you know, my, but the Sport Fury GT and the four-speed convertible and my 72 player, those are the keepers. I'll never sell those. Um, but, uh, you know, the other stuff kind of comes and goes over the years. So, you know. Um, that's awesome. Uh, so with all the Mopar adventures you go on and all the cool little collections you've seen, what would you say your craziest find or coolest find in your opinion? What do you think that would be? What would you say? Well, the coolest thing I ever saw was the Giuliano collection. Like, I mean, that obviously wasn't for sale, but like a lot of people, you know, saw the auction a couple of years ago, um, which man, I, I, that's one of my regrets. I really wish I would have gone to that. Like I, I was, I was, I was, I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And then like, I saw pictures and like realized how cool it really was. And it was like, um, that was just unbelievable. But I got, you know, uh, I was down at the spring fling and I got invited down there and man, just seeing that all together in person was just unbelievable. I mean, it wasn't like a find that was trying to buy or anything, but that was definitely the coolest thing I ever saw. I mean, that, that collection was just unbelievable. The cars, the memorabilia, how we had it laid out. I mean, that guy, he was so meticulous with the stuff. I mean, there wasn't one square inch of wall that wasn't covered in, in posters and banners and signs, but how he laid it all out perfectly was just amazing. That guy had just an incredible collection of de uh, attention to detail. And then like, he took us up to his attic and then like, 
I go up and there's like a pile of like 30 NOS F6015 polyglass tires for Hemi Kudas. And it's like, um, I mean, that, that, that guy was doing what I'm doing now, but 20 years ago, 30 years ago, like he crossed the country. He went to like, his deal with tires. He loved old tires. Like, and he had some Cobras and stuff. Yeah. That was one of his things that people don't know, but he was a big tire guy. So he would go to all these, he'd find like these tire warehouses and find like NOS tires in, in the back and stuff that was like hidden back there and he'd buy them all. So again, he was going to like dealers and stuff. Um, it's actually funny, like how I got that dealer list. Uh, my buddy Dan found it, um, but the guy who had it, his dad ran like a parts depot in Alabama. And that, that's what he did. He had like a couple old cars and he would just like, when they were on their family road trips, you could see like there's notes on it. Like, so when they went on their family road trips, he'd go by these old dealers in like the seventies and try to find parts for his like fifties cars. <laughs> so, but yeah, Giuliano did that back in the day too. So, which I always thought was kind of funny. Wow. Yeah. His collection, when I saw that going up for auction, that, that, once I saw that collection, I was like, okay, I don't think there's ever going to be another collection as epic as that. I, I just don't it, think it, it, it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, I don't know if you've seen what uh, Mike McCandless has been doing in North Carolina, but um, a little he's bit. Been doing, yeah, yeah, he's more of a neon, he's more of a Ford look, neon porcelain guy. You know, Giuliano was more scat pack, you know, rapid transit system. But, um, you know, I, I don't think Mike's quite reached Giuliano levels, but like Mike's impress, Mike's collection is impressive. It's the, uh, it's the McCandless museum they're on facebook but like if you guys haven't checked out his collection it's amazing but he, he's more porcelain neon um unfortunately i'm kind of priced out of that stuff now it's just getting so expensive for that stuff it's just like you know i run a restoration shop i'm not i don't have that much money so it's like i've been kind of collecting the plastic it's a little cheaper <laughs> his uh the pictures of his shop are amazing um i'm sure have you seen the controversy i don't know if his post is still up about the steel wheels from the hemi car have you seen that controversy i don't think i saw that one what was that uh, he had some date correct. Um, I could be butchering this right now. Uh, 70 um, date correct steel wheels that were um, for a Hemi car for like $7,000. And people. Oh, yeah, I did. Yep, I did see that. Yep. It was hilarious to yep. watch. Yep, yep. And then he put them on eBay. The thing about Mike is like, Mike's a super nice guy. I know him. Uh, he just bought a car from uh, Trev, actually. Um, and he's a super nice guy. I've hung out with him maybe once or twice. Um, he just has a, a super eye for detail. Like he's just, but like when he lists stuff, like he lists it fairly reasonably. It's like, you know, he wants the money out of it, but like, he's one of those guys. Like, I think, I think he got so sick of the Facebook controversy. He just threw them on eBay and I can't remember what they sold for, but it was significantly less than that. But I know everybody complains about it, but it's like, I'll give you a great example. So there was, um, the last time you went Hemi Cuda convertible to sell publicly was that the Mecham auction in Seattle. I don't know if you went to that or not, but there was a 71. Yeah, there was, there was a 71 Hemi Cuda convertible um, uh, that sold. I think it got three and a half million dollars um, at the time. Um, and gorgeous car. Very well done. I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the wheels. It didn't have the right wheels on it. It needed those 050 wheels that Mike had. Like, and I'm like, okay, well, what's that worth? Like, this is the top muscle car in the world. It doesn't have the right wheels. When you have a three and a half million dollar car, like outlaying five grand for wheels is like, I mean, I know that's a lot of money. I know like it's hard to wrap your mind around how much money that is just for a set of wheels. But they're going on top end cars. I mean, like th that's like one of the hardest wheels to find in Mopar. It's the, the 050. Because like, because if you got steel wheels in 70 instead of rallies or whatever, like you got them because they're, they were getting tossed in the trash the next day for mat for mags or slots or, you know, it's like, you know, that was the cheap wheel. Like 
if you're going to just put mags on anyways, you got the, you got the 050 wheel. So it's just like, yeah, I mean, no, it's funny. It's like, you know, people on Facebook love freaking out about like the high prices on some of this stuff. And it's like, you know, I'm in the business, you know, it's like, I'm one of those guys who kind of have to ask top dollar for the stuff, but it's like, you know, why should I sell it? You know, why should I sell that for two grand when it's worth five grand and somebody else is going to buy it and sell it for five. So it's like, it is what it is. Like, it's like, I wish the parts were cheaper too, you know, but that's another reason why I'm in the C bodies because like the parts are cheaper too. So it's like, you know, I've been buying a lot of NOS for that 68 four speed convertible. You know, I finally got the engine done for that and I got the four speed done. So, I mean, I need to put that in. It needs to go for body and paint pretty soon, but, um, but like I've been buying up all the NOS I can find for it. And, you know, that stuff used to be cheap. Even that stuff's getting pretty expensive. Yeah, it's it's crazy world out there right now. It's like, you know, when I was watching that controversy around the wheels, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, and Mike said it perfectly. He's like, look, the person that needs these will have the money to buy them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's not a cheap car. Any any car that came with that wheel is a Hemi car is probably a Hemi car. So it's like, you know, it's, you know, you want to have the right wheels and it's like, that, and that's the other thing about something like that. It's, it's why the A12 wheels are, are always so expensive because like, cause they're naked. Like you can see all the date codes on it. So it's like when you have a rally wheel, like a 15 by seven rally wheel, if you put a trim ring over it, you can't see what the date codes are. So it's like, so it makes it worth more if you see the date code at a show. Cause like, cause that makes more of a difference. You know, if you have the wrong wheel on the A12 car, there's no hubcaps. I mean, they just put chrome lug nuts on those cars. So it's like, there's no hubcap to hide the date code. So it's very important to get that. So same thing on a, you know, 050 wheel car, you know, you get, that's a, they, you're going to have dog dishes and it's like, you can see the date codes they're out in the open. So it's like, that makes them worth more. So. Yeah. Especially if you're trying to do it like a concourse restoration and you want Absolutely. everything to be perfect. Like yep. those are the little details that can make or break where you place, you know, in that, spe- uh, that specific event so that's what i think a lot of people that's what i think got lost on a lot of people with that because it's like yeah i'm sitting there and i'm going seven thousand dollars that's insane for me yeah, yeah. <laughs> i also don't yeah. have heavy <laughs> right 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 yeah I, yeah i get it and i get where people are coming from because they're seeing you know these old chargers you know the 68 to 70 b bodies oh, any insane right now they're- insane i can't believe it like i mean like the the car in in washington you know it's like they listed for like 10 and end up selling for over 20 it's like chargers are just insane right now like i kind of wish i had my original charger now because it'd be worth so much money you know being a survivor and everything but it's like you know char- i'm just completely priced out of chargers now it's just like i mean the prices on them are just insane um and that's the hardest car in the market and it's it's kind of interesting to see what's going up and down you know like kind of seems like the e-bodies are about about even you know some of the early cars are going down a little bit um you know, with the with the Marinoff estate, I've been helping them out with. You know, they had a Max Wedge car, and it's like it's funny. It's like that's probably worth half of what it was, you know, ten years ago. You know, it's like because they're you know, I, I love Max Wedge cars. They're they're awesome cars. I'd love to own one one day. But you know, the, the market's really going towards stuff they can drive. You know, it's like, um, you know, it's the Resto mod. It's the third gen Hemi. You know, like I'm still like completely sold on the third gen Hemi thing. I've never done one. I really want to. I mean. We definitely more concentrate on you know the OE type restorations here or drivers or disc brake swaps, but I, I really want to do one because it's like it's what people people want to be able to drive their stuff. People are getting older; they have less less tolerance for loud cars. And on the Max Wedge cars, I mean the the base Max Wedge car had 11 to one compression in 410 gears. Like try driving one of those on the freeway. Like you, and today's pump gas is terrible. I mean it's like the 93 ethanol. I mean it's like it goes bad after six months. Like 
we, we've had so much stuff in here where it's like, you know, somebody puts a brand new Edelbrock on the car and they come in and it's like, it's not running right. And you open up the Edelbrock and it's like, you've had ethanol gas running through there for six months and all the gaskets are just toast. Like they eat the gaskets. It's crazy how that works, you know, but the max wedge cars, you know, the, and the high compression ones are 12 to one with 450 gears. It's like, you can't drive those things They're You know, there's no heat crossover on the intake. So there's, you know, they have chokes, but it's like, but you don't get any heat up there. So they warm up slow. They, they, they run bad cold. It's just like, you know, so the prices are way down right now because people want to drive, you know, um, you know, it used to be, Nobody wanted an AC car. I mean, like working on working on AC cars is not fun. Like it's like you got all the ducting underneath the dash. There's twice as much stuff underneath the hood. You know, I used to just I wouldn't even look at an AC car unless it was a C body, but that's that's a whole different story. You know, on a charger, I didn't want an AC car. But now, you know, as the age of the people into this are getting older, they want AC cars. You know, um, I've got a buddy who's snowboarding in Phoenix now, and like all he wants is AC cars because he's in Phoenix. You know, it's like. And he's not down there in the summer. He's back up here in the in the winter. In the uh, you know, he's down in the winter up here in the summer. But like, but he still wants an AC car down there, even in a convertible. I mean, like, I've never quite understood that when I was young. It's like, well, you have a convertible, just put the top down. But then you know, go down to Phoenix when it's 110 degrees. Like, okay, I get it now. Like, you know, even with a convertible, and he doesn't want a car with a black interior. He wants a white interior. It's like, so it's kind of interesting how you know the market changes and what people what people like and they don't like. You know, it's like. AC used to be a huge minus on one of these cars, but now it's actually a plus, you know, um, obviously you can't get a multiple carb car, but like, you know, you see a lot of guys with big collections where it's like they have Cudas and chargers, then they'll have one Chrysler 300 Hurst, you know, with AC long wheelbase. And that's the one they drive. Cause it's the most comfortable car. You know, it's like, it's maybe not the coolest for everybody out there, but it's like the people really like having a full size car with AC. They drive really nice down the road. They're easy to drive. They're, they're, they're tuna boats, but like, you know, but they just, they, they're a really good road trip car. If you just want to go out and drive, they're the most comfortable one to do it. You know, an e-body is a nice short, short wheelbase. You know, it's like they don't necessarily ride the best. You know, it's a little less comfortable. So, I don't know. It's kind of interesting to see where the market goes. Yeah, I've actually been really impressed with some of the big body sedans that I've seen that people are buying and just hot rodding. I think it's really cool. Um, absolutely. You know, yep, absolutely. Great way to get into the hobby. And like you were saying earlier, you still get the, you know, the HP motors and all the, all the yep. stuff that you could your chargers but you have a couple extra doors and if you're a family guy you know that might be more you know it might be easier to convince the wife you know that yeah you can, uh, yeah. 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 You can get it for cheaper and you know they're still out there that's the nice thing is those are still out there and there's so many of them that you know if you get one that needs you know some parts and stuff like that that i think i think they make great project cars because chances are you're going to be able to find um another one for parts but i i could well, be wrong what, yeah. what do you you think about that do you think the cars are still available and that the c bodies are good um project vehicles yeah they're still out there it's amazing we keep them showing up you know it's like um last uh last winter i found a, a 68 chrysler 300 convertible you know just sitting in it'd been sitting for like 30 years you know um just under a carport and then i bought it from the family but it was original paint original interior you know got a home they, they got it running went through it and it was like it was you know, it was under five when I bought it. I don't remember exactly what I bought it for, but like it was such a good deal for that car. And it's original paint, 440 AC, full size convertible. Like they're still out there, man. Like you can buy the nicest two door or C body in the world for 10 grand. You know, it's like, um, and it makes a, you know, the, the, if you just want a car to drive and enjoy, they're fantastic. They really are. Um, you know, it's obviously getting harder to find some of this stuff, but like, but the cars are still out there. And, you know, it's like, you know, dealing with these estates and everything, it's like, you know, it's real sad, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff going back on the market right now that hasn't seen the light of day for a while, which, you know, is good for the guys looking for the cars. So, 
Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just, it's so interesting to me, like watching the market, you know, get crazy on chargers, crazy on E bodies. Um, well, any B bodies really, uh, from 68 to 70 is pretty crazy. Even 71 and 72 is getting kind of crazy too, but it's, it's definitely interesting to see how the market, the trends, but I, I don't think that, you know, cause I see all the time people criticizing the prices of, you know, chargers specifically. And I, I get it. Some of these prices are insane for 318 cars. But in my opinion, I just don't see them getting any cheaper anytime soon because they're so sought out, so sought after and there's so little of them left. What do you think? Do you think they're ever going to come down to realistic prices or are they, are they going to keep going up and up? Well, I, I think the real key, especially on the chargers, is like, it, it's really interesting. Like, uh, Haggerty's done a fantastic job with some of their evaluation tools. Um, and it's like, usually looking at those tools, you kind of roll your eyes. Like, there's so many factors where they're, they're not right. But like, one thing they always do when they like do a de in-depth analysis of the car is they have a lot of data that no one else has. So um, what's really interesting is what they always post is, what the percentage of people insuring those cars is in their age group. And that's one thing I really, really look at. Like right now, trucks are like the hottest thing right now. Like, I mean, other than chargers, you know, in general, you know, like the old Broncos, the Blazers. I mean, there was just a mid seventies Blazer that got $90,000 on bringing a trailer. I mean, that's insane. It's absolutely insane. But like the key with chargers is it's people in our generation, you know, um, I guess I'm kind of at the tail end of Gen X kind of at the start of millennials a little bit. I'm not quite a millennial, but close. But it's like, what did we grow up with? Dukes of Hazard. Like, yeah. I remember specifically Christmas when I was like four years old, my parents got me like the General Lee and this police car to chase it. We played with that till it broke. I mean, it like shattered. Like there was no car left when I was done playing with that thing. And like, but that's what really resonates with, with our generation. You know, it's like, we're, again, we're on the younger side of this, but it's like, that's what's going to drive. I don't think chargers are going anywhere anytime soon because like the people who really like those cars, I mean, even my friends, like most of my cars, most of my friends don't even know how to change their oil. Like, I mean, some of them do, but like, you know, it's like, we've kind of grown up with this generation where it's like, you know, when I really started learning to work on these things is when I broke down on the side of the road. Like when I like, you know, like when I had points go out in my Polara, you know, I'm driving down the road, the points go out, like, you can't just like go to a repair shop and fix that. Like you got to fix it on your own on the road trip. And it's like, today's cars are so reliable. I mean, it's like, I know everybody asks like, Oh, what's a good car? What's a bad car anymore? There aren't any bad cars anymore. You know, obviously, uh, obviously, you know, I, I just buy a Durango for my wife, you know? Um, but before that she had a Mazda CX-5 and it was a fantastic car. Like there are no bad cars anymore, but it's like that generation is like, they don't know how to work on cars anymore because they haven't had to, because the cars are so reliable they don't have to work on it. But again, but that charger just resonates with my generation so much with, and then it was, you know, and then it was uh, Fast and Furious. You know, it's like, I, I boycotted the first movie forever after they wrecked the charger. I didn't even watch it, but um, I've watched them all now, but like, it was a petty thing. But like, you know, but between Dukes of Hazard and like the Fast and Furious, they've always got a second gen charger in Fast and Furious. Every movie they have one, and it's always been diesel driving it. So, um, dumb. Um, but like, I don't think chargers are going anywhere for a long time. I really don't. Um, I'm a little worried about like the Ford like, cars. Like I kind of got into those a little bit in the last couple of years, the Finn cars, you know, it's like you go to a show and you see like, you go to the 300 section and the youngest guys there is 75. Like that's not, that's not a good sign for those cars. You know, same thing with the Max Wedge cars. You know, it's like that generation is kind of 70, 75 right now. Or unfortunately we're starting to lose some of those guys. And it's really sad because there's a lot of knowledge going out from these guys. But like, but long answer to your 
short question is like chargers aren't going anywhere for a long time like as long as long as the younger guys are still still interested in those i mean i I don't know. I, I keep on saying they can't go up anymore, but they keep on going up. So I don't know what the answer to that is. But um, and you, you also get some competition from the new cars too. So it's like you kind of get into the price range. Like you see the projects go for like twenty twenty five, but I haven't seen them much more than that. Because you can go out and buy a you know an RT Challenger for forty fifty, uh, and you can buy a Hellcat for seventy. Um, and like a lot of people just prefer that because they don't have to work on the old cars, but. Um, which I think hurts a little bit, the middle market. You get like that 40 to 60 area and you start competing with the new muscle cars. Um, but no, I, I don't think Chargers are going anywhere for a long time. I really don't. So, All right. I, I love getting people's perspectives on that from, you know, from just a regular enthusiast to people who own businesses and are dealing with parts and things like that and see cars for sale all the time. So it's definitely interesting mm-hmm. to talk to people like yourself about that just to see where the market's going because, you know, my opinion has been, hey, if you think they're bad now at 2025, wait, give it 30 years. <laughs> then, because I, yep. if I had, if I had the money, I would just go find myself a project RT and just stash it and you know work on it as I could and you know collect as many yep. parts as I. Because you never know how long the parts are going to last. All these repop parts, parts or even the NOS parts. I imagine. I mean, you deal with parts. Uh, it's got to be you know harder and harder to find these really rare NOS parts for the muscle car segment, correct? Oh, it's extremely rare. And it's, it's why, you know, it's really a shame that people, there are very few companies doing the, people doing the OE restorations anymore. I mean, that was like really popular about 10 years ago, but the parts are just drying up. You just can't find the parts anymore. You know, to do an all NOS restoration, you just can't do it anymore because the parts don't exist. Um, I mean, we're really lucky. I mean, I, I complained about, you know, some of the reproduction parts earlier, and I do have a lot of problems with them. I mean, like, I can give you an example, 100 long. I'm not going to get into it here, but, um, but like, I mean, it's so frustrating using reproduction parts sometimes. But the thing is, they're out there, which is fantastic, because, like, if these parts weren't available, these cars wouldn't be getting done right now. So, and it's the, the boom in reproduction parts over the last 10 years has been fantastic and really a boom for finishing these cars. So I've been really, really happy about that. Um, it just makes it easier to do these restorations. So. Um, I really prefer to use OE whenever I can, but that's just not practical for a lot of things. So it's just not. What is, uh, since you've done so many, you know, hunts and finds with all these old NOS parts, what do you think the coolest, rarest, most valuable or most important part that you've ever run across is? I really got to think about that. I mean, I just, you know, I, uh, the Steve Marinoff estate, I was just down there in California last week and I actually got to go back down there on Tuesday. I got to drive back down. I really was hoping not to, but of course you got to go back and get the parts, but I got a Hemi block out of that. That's probably the most valuable part I think I've ever gotten. So 68 Hemi block. And then it came with heads and valve covers and rockers. And, you know, um, I mean, I, again, I filled, I got my 24 foot white trailer, like all over the country with filling up. And I, I was, a little overweight on the way home after I had all those parts in there. I stopped to go back and get all the rest of the stuff. So, um, man, I'm trying to think what else, like, I don't know. It all starts merging in together after a while, but, um, but I love doing these things and I wish I was better at social media. I mean, you're fantastic at social media. You do a great job. And I wish I was a little better at it, but like the problem is, is like, I'm always so busy. Like I just, I, I don't get like disciplined enough to like post all this stuff. I mean, I think people would love seeing more stuff that I find, but like, you know, I did like a one minute video with the Marinoff thing, but like, but then the rest of the time I was putting the parts on the trailer and driving home. And like, you know, it's like, you can't like, you know, I'm not going to start posting on social media when I'm driving home, but like, you know, I haven't listened to a lot of talking Mopars on the way down on the way back though, which is great. So I kind of got caught up on the podcast a little bit. So, um, 
you know, a lot of dead time in the truck going back and forth. So I hear you. It's definitely, if I was doing what you were doing, I wouldn't have time for the social media stuff. So I have to live, I have to do this podcast and live vicariously through my friends. Fair <laughs> that enough. Do all Fair enough. Stuff. Um, well, I want to help shows start back up again next year. I mean, I miss shows, man. I, I just miss them so much. Like, um, uh, I mean, a great example is, you know, last week, you know, I was down in, I was down in LA. I mean, I was, I was helping out with the Marinoff estate, um, buying all that stuff. And, uh, man, he has some incredible NOS parts and stuff I've never seen before. I mean, it's just the mundane stuff. Like you ask like the most expensive, coolest thing, but like he had NOS wing nuts, like you, for the air cleaner, like you never see that stuff. Just like, just the most mundane stuff. You know, he had original, you know, made in the USA tan distributor caps you know like nobody makes a good reproduction of that so but the original caps from back in the day dual point um i lost my train of thought there but um but yeah it's just like you know all this cool stuff it's just like it's just it's kind of fun to find it so definitely yeah it's it's fun to watch what you guys come up with it's all like you were saying about you know you're bad with social media or whatever i don't agree because i like you know when you post something i'm like oh what did he find this time you know because it's like you know, few and far between, but yeah, you some really cool stuff. And this, I'm curious to see, you know, what you, what all you end up with from the Marinoff uh, estate. That should be interesting. Well, and I'll post um, some pictures. I've, I've, I've been kind of working the whole last week of separating the parts and selling some of the stuff. Like there was an aluminum 63 Plymouth aluminum front bumper, which was cool. Um, you know, just some really rare parts in that, you know, Hemi carburetors, you know, max switch carburetors, um, I don't know if you ever knew this or not, but do you know the Maxways used a swinging oil pickup on that on those cars? Did you, did you know that? So they they originally came up with this. It, it's literally uh, so it's oil pickup. It goes in the pan and it literally swings. So like when you hit the gas, it moves it backwards. Really? And then when you go forward, it goes back forward. Yeah, they use a swinging oil pickup in a Maxways engine. Yeah, I actually got an NOS one of those in the collection, brand new, really? with the part number still on it. Yep. Yeah, those are super cool. It's just, it's one of those things like. And it didn't really work. Um, like Mopar is famous for, they were so good with engineering back in the day. They were just fantastic. I mean, like the interiors weren't as nice as the other ones, you know, like the styling wasn't, you know, quite as, you know, especially until 68. Um, but like some of the engineering this stuff came up with is just amazing. Like oil, the sweet oil pickup, who would have thought of that was a good idea. So like, but you know, we hit the gas, so the oil moves back in the oil pan, right? So you want the sweet, you want the, the pickup in the back, you know, it's like, then it goes back and forth, you know, it's like, you know, I think the best example, you know, how many times is this frustrated people It's the left and right lug nuts, you know, like from, from an engineering standpoint, it makes total sense. Like if you have a loose lug nut in your car and you're going down the road, it won't come off on the left side, but how many studs have been broken off by Les Schwab over the years when they have their air gun at 300 pounds and freaking bust the nut off before they figure out, you know, that it's left and right. So just like, I love Mopar with all my heart. Dead, the best engineering of any of the big three. But like, there's definitely some stuff where it's just like, okay, you guys overthought yourselves here. So <laughs> that's funny. Well, man, as as we wind down here, um, when we were talking earlier about um, the prices of chargers, you had mentioned, you know, how when you're looking at a twenty five thousand dollar complete project, it's probably going to cost you tens of thousands of more dollars to even restore to a respectable condition. Um, you were talking about that puts you in the market for, you know, to just go to a dealership and pick yourself up a nice Challenger RT brand new or, you know, yeah. a number of the other cars. I'm curious to see, you know, with with Pentastar geeks like us, you know, some of us are just diehard classic Mopar guys. And I, I personally, I like it all. I like all the generations. There's something I can find that I really like from all of them. I'm curious to hear what your opinion is on the modern Mopars and what Dodge has been doing as far as performance and the modern day muscle cars. What do you think about those? I mean, I, I, I'm an old school guy, so 
So like, I really like the old stuff, but I mean, I don't care what anybody says. You can't argue that we're in the new Muscar era right now. I mean, it's just what, what they're doing with the stuff is just fantastic. I mean, you take like, you take a new Hellcat Challenger and put it next to the old one. And I mean, how in every single way possible, except for maybe styling and coolness, the Hellcat's a better car, like in every single way, shape or form. I mean, it is absolutely amazing. And it's like, you know, a lot of people get all mad when the new cars go to the, go to the shows, but kind of the way I see it, it's like, they're keeping the show alive. Like you've got to bring this new blood in. Like, you know, I've seen so many clubs, especially around Aria. I used to be a member of all the Mopar clubs around here. And you see most of them are dying off because like you need that new blood to come in to keep the stuff alive. And it's like, even if those guys aren't in the old Mopar stuff, I think it's fantastic that they're going to the shows and participating going on the cruises. I mean, like, I, I think it's great. So like, I have no problem with the modern Mopar stuff. You know, it's like, you know, a lot of guys are doing the Gen 3 Hemi swaps. Um, I would love to be able to do that on my shop. If everybody wants me to do a Gen 3 Hemi swap for them, give me a call. I would love to do one. I've never done one before. I really want to do one. Um, I think I think it's a super cool idea. Again, I'm an old school guy. I'm not doing any of that to my, to my stuff. But, like, I really think that's where the market's going. And I, I, I think it's just fantastic. I mean, I think it's, like, any way to keep this old stuff alive and make it better to drive and on the road and improve it, I think it's just fantastic. So... Yeah, I, I can agree with you more. And I, you know, when it comes to the new stuff versus the old stuff, I do, as much as I respect the, I love an OE, you know, A12, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's nothing yeah. cooler than the old yeah. car, the survivors, especially. I love all original survivors. There's nothing cooler than that to me, even over a fully restored car. I just seeing the car, you know, at, at, as it is from the time that it's been on this earth, you know, all its battle scars and things like that. I love seeing right. that and, kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and for me, that's a document. That is history. So, like, one of the shows I love going to is McCacken. Like, if you've never been to McCacken, you got to go to McCacken next year. Just make it happen. It's, it, yeah. it's such a fantastic setup. It is, like, two miles from O'Hare Airport. So, like, you just fly in Friday night, go Saturday and Sunday and fly back. You never have to rent a car. You just take the shuttle to the show. It's super cheap to go there. You get your tickets in advance. McCacken is the best show going on right now. Um, if, for those who don't know, it's the Muscle really? Car Corvette Nationals. Um, they have all the unveilings. Like I went a couple years ago when they had uh, all this, the Hemi Cuda, uh, all the Hemi E-body convertibles. They got, I think, yeah. I can't remember how they got. They got 30 of them. I mean, you're looking at this row of Hemi E-body convertibles, and it's like, there's like a hundred million dollars sitting here in this row. So like, but it, but it's such a fantastic show. I mean, it's everybody goes. So it's like, I mean, we're a little handicapped out here, unfortunately, because we're so far away from Carlisle and the Nats and everything, which um, I, I mean, I would go to those every year, but they're so far away. It's just not practical. You know, I, I go to, I go to California twice a year. I go on like one other road trip, but like, but it's hard to, that, that's a two week trip minimum. There's no way to do it unless not go back to these coast shows. But McCacken just has some of the stuff that shows that everybody wants to be a McCacken, like the survivors and like, you know, they, they actually have like a survivor, like um, judging there. And it's like, and I will sit there for an hour with some of my friends taking a thousand pictures of that car because it's a living document. It's, you know, how can you argue with an original car? Oh, that paint mark's not supposed to be there. And I realize that's not for everybody. And that's kind of the way I do it. But like, um, and I probably wouldn't do an OE gold car just because I don't, you know, that, cause I like driving my stuff. You know, I like them nice, but like, I, I would probably never do an OE gold car. Um, but I do them, I can appreciate them. And I just love the survivor. Uh, I love survivor cars. It's the originality, how they built them, you know, like what was that one guy smoking weed in the parking lot between shifts and like messed up the seam sealer, you know, it's like, 
I just love that kind of stuff. You know, it goes back to that dealer paperwork too. I find when I, you know, these old dealers, I, I just love the history of this stuff. Um, I wish I was a little more organized, like, you know, this dealer list. And like, I, I keep a registry of stuff with a friend of mine. It's just like, you know, kind of keeping track of these cards. But I love the history and the codes and the fender tags. Yeah, I'm one of those guys that can look at a 70 fender tag and tell you all the codes off the top of my head. You know, I've been doing this so long. Like, you know, it's like, I, I love one of my favorite books is the, the, the Malcolm Gladwell book about the 10,000 hours thing. Like, I, I really think that's absolutely a true thing. Like, um, I'm, what's the name of that book? Um, of course, I'm drawing a blank here, but it's like, but basically the premise is like, if you do anything for 10,000 hours, you become an expert at it. Like whether it's a basketball, whether it's a basketball player, whether it's podcasting, whether it's like public speaking, whether it's like playing baseball, like whether it's looking at Mopar Fender tag codes, but I've been doing this so long now, it's like you get pretty good at it. So, um, you know, just be able to, to figure out all this stuff out. So I just love the history. Yeah. It's, it's a good thing that guys like you are still out there because you know, like, like you were saying, the older guys are just, you know, they're not going to be around forever. And, you know, it's up to us to keep the, to keep the old school alive. <laughs> so, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I get really encouraged when I see and hear, I, I get a lot of um, messages from the younger crowd saying, you know, I, I, my first Mopar was a modern, you know, V6 charger or something, but I love yep. the old stuff. I love yeah. learning about the old stuff. That to me excites me because, you know, I'm still learning. I don't know squat, you know, I'll be the first to admit that. I love Mopars because there's so much cool stuff to learn. Like I learned a bunch of stuff just on this podcast alone talking. To you. <laughs> I, I wrote it down too. So I <laughs> no, Chris, you're doing great with this podcast. Like I really enjoy listening to it. Like I try to listen to it when I'm on road trips and stuff. So, you know, you're doing a great job with this. You're keeping it alive. Like, um, you know, just keeping the conversation going and it's like, you know, uh, different mediums for the stuff, getting the word out, you know, it's just like, it's just, it's, it's fantastic. Like it's, it's what we got to do to keep this thing alive. So, yeah. And, you know, I, I tell everybody that this talking Mopars is an open forum. I'll have anybody, if you're a Mopar enthusiast and you have something fun to say or a good story to tell, reach out to me. I'll get you on the show just because I, you know, I'm not the type of guy that is looking for star power or anything like that. I just, I just like talking to other Mopar enthusiasts because every single one that I talk to has something different to bring to the table and something interesting. And I, I know that if you're a true Mopar enthusiast, then you eat it up. You love talking Mopars. That's all there is to it. You know, so mm -hmm. I appreciate, I appreciate the kind words and I appreciate you listening and having you on the show. It's been a lot of fun. And where can, people find you find your work and see all the fun stuff that you're up to Tom sure yeah I'm working on updating my website I've been you know again it's being out in the shop all the time you don't get a chance to update some of your other stuff but our website's uh, www.rocketresto.com so it's uh, r-o-c-k-e-t-r-e-s-t-o.com um, uh, we have an eBay store um, which is again it's Rocket Resto on eBay that's where we sell a lot of our stuff I'm working on building a online store. I haven't gotten it finished yet. And then uh, we're on Facebook too, but I don't know how to translate that to a podcast on, but it's Rocket Restorations. We have a Facebook page and that's where I post most of my stuff. So I love posting cool stuff from my travels. And as I said, we're going back down next week to get the rest of the stuff from the Marinoff estate. And I've got a bunch of dealer stops to make. Like I know I found one shop down there. He's actually a Mopar shop down there, but he's got the original Plymouth authorized service. He's an old Mopar building down there. So we're going to stop by there and make a couple of stops while we're down there. So I've got a car to bring down. I'm actually just sold a, a 61, 1961 Chrysler 300 G to a friend of mine down in Santa Rosa. So I'm going to deliver that when I'm going down there and yeah, should be fun. I'll try to post some pictures from the trip. 
Yeah, definitely. So all of you out there listening, go follow Rocket Restorations on Facebook and see all of Tom's crazy adventures, all the cool Mopar stuff he digs up and and builds. It's going to be uh, fun watching, you know, what happens with all these parts that you've been getting and what other cool dealerships you're going to visit. I, I know that I'm going to be tuning in and paying attention to what you're doing. So thanks, Tom, for coming on Direct Connections today. I do want to leave you with this. When I'm at a swap meet... And I see Tom there. <laughs> I secretly follow him around and just see what he's looking at, just so I can get an idea of, oh, he put that down. It's probably not worth squat. <laughs> and, then I, and then I get discouraged because I'm like, oh, this guy's already got all the good stuff. Sometimes I catch you walking out to your trailer or your truck with parts, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he already <laughs> he got as all the good said, stuff. I, as I said, I like buying a lot more than selling. But, you know, if you buy everything and never sell, then you're going to be broke real quick. So, <laughs> All right, well. I hope to see you next year at swap meets and shows. Hopefully, yeah, everything I hope goes. so. I hope so, man. I hope so. Yeah, we were just. I was down in LA, and we're supposed to go to the fall fling down there, and they got canceled three days before the show. I mean, it was just, it was brutal. I was already down there for the show, and uh, unfortunately, like I'm really good friends with all the guys in the club down there. It wasn't their fault. The city shut them down because of COVID, but it's just like it just it was really bad. I mean, like you know, three days before the show, like everybody's looking forward to this. Like they had like record numbers of Swami guys and people are dying to get out there. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm taking this stuff seriously. I'm wearing my mask and everything, but it's just like, man, I really hope this thing clears up by next spring so we can start going to swap meets again. So I'm hold, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers, hoping that because this year sucked so bad, next year is going to be amazing. <laughs> and no, that everybody that I'll, I'll tell you what, Chris, the first swap meet next year that we can go to is going to be the most amazing swap meet you've ever seen in your life. Cause everybody has like this cooped up, like they need to buy stuff. And it's like, you know, like I've been doing really well online right now because I know we can go to shows. You know, everybody, you know, everybody goes to car around like, Oh, I can buy all my parts for my car. But like, you have to buy everything online right now because you can't go to a swap beat. It's like, ah. Absolutely. Well, Tom, thanks for coming on Talking About Parts. And everybody else out there, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopar's Direct Connections is in the books. Thanks to Tom for coming on the show. And I'm sure you guys noticed that the quality of the audio for that interview was not the best. I'm not sure what happened. I think it was on the end of the platform that I used to record the interviews. So I apologize. I did the best that I could with it and it couldn't get any cleaner than what you just heard. So my apologies. Hopefully I won't have that problem again in the future, but I've had it a couple times now and it's starting to frustrate me. So I need to get to the bottom of that, but that's okay. The show must go on. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com or leave me a voice message on my voice mailbox at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. My friends, if you're looking for a way to help support Talking Mopars, all you have to do is go to TalkingMopars.com and visit the Talking Mopars merch shop. There, you can order cool things like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and more. And it's a great way to help the show and get some cool stuff at the same time. Just go to TalkingMopars.com and follow the link to the Talking Mopars merch shop. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars Direct Connections. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.